Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 99. I'm with Hunter Ginn and two others, which I'll introduce in just a little bit, but this is an exciting and different episode for us in that we have people around us other than our usual shell of just Hunter and I. I want to note generous donations from some listeners. Paul Stolp gave us a really appreciated and not insignificant donation, and we really appreciate that from him. Um, also, Tanner Cooper and Alexander Hogeline. We don't often give the amounts that people give, but uh, Alexander gave us the incredible amount of $19.93, $19.93, which if you've listened to this podcast, you know what that particular number, 1993, uh, means for us, and we appreciate his cleverness with the donation amount. You can give to Radical Research at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. That is our PayPal ID as well as our contact email We hope to see you on the Radical Research Facebook playlist postings. That's taken on a a wonderful life of its own. Uh, We enjoy sort of uh, seeing what all the other freaks out there are listening to. And that's kind of to our point of this episode. Welcome, Hunter. Just want to say hello to you and uh, make sure that you are utilizing your brand new microphone, which some of these donations have helped us give to you. How do you like that, Mike? I'm just fine. It certainly looks much more professional than my old $15 USB handheld thing, but um, hopefully the sound quality of tonight's episode will bear out the uh, the investment. Yeah, you sound good. I, I know that it looks more phallic, so you could say you're having a phallic tantrum right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, then in that case, I should uh, should come across as a little more excited than usual. <laughs> okay, so so <laughs> in the run up to episode 100, and I feel like we've been talking about 100 since episode 50, which was this more elongated episode on Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost into the pandemonium. We know that we've been want, wanting to do Voivod and we're just going to have like a, a very open conversation about Voivod and see where it takes us. But it's probably going to be another longer epic length episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we want to do something special for 100. We can't imagine a better band to celebrate that with than Voivod. For 99, I had this idea and Hunter agreed that we should have a couple different radical research type freaks on. And by that, I mean, when Hunter and I started and Hunter and I, you know, it's well known to listeners also that when we met, we could not believe the uncanny similarities and intersections we had in our music tastes. And, you know, I think radical research kind of just a product of that or a reflection of that anyway. And then we found when we started this podcast that a ton of other people have that sensibility as well. And we've been really pleased to know that we're not the only weirdos that listen on a weird and different and wide uh, and unusual spectrum. Uh, and it really comforts us to, to know that everybody's out there around the globe, you know, that kind of understand what we do and why we do it and why we're so driven by all this stuff. So we basically not randomly picked because we could have picked a bunch of people. We could have picked Paul Stolp. We could have had Forrest Pitts. We could have had Benjamin Adler. We could have had a number of different people with us, but um, we just kind of decided to go with some people that are uh, close to our hearts in Brian Grabenz and Thomas Null, who people may know from Hunter's Deserts of Hex publication. That is just as much Thomas as I I believe it's fair to say. Absolutely. 
And Brian's somebody I've known for a long time, actually, even before uh, Radical Research, I think actually short be- shortly before I made the move to Greensboro, Brian and I got in touch somehow. I don't know if it was through Mean Deviation or maybe you can remind me, but um, I, I remember- think it was when Mean Deviation came out and I had uh, I had actually friended you on Facebook and, and we then- started chatting from there. Yeah, we started chatting. And again, it was like, oh, this guy not only likes some of the usual suspects like the Voivods and like the Frost, uh, but like no means no was a thing that came up. And I mean, I can't even list the 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 various similarities, but it was it was rather uncanny. And um, so Brian's been a good friend for a long time. Uh, and I'm just getting to know Thomas through this crazy podcast. But we thought it'd be fun to have a little roundtable just to chat and just to kind of like make it informal and very unplanned. Um, but every, the idea is everybody's going to come with a few talking points because we do share all these weird intersections and similarities as listeners and and freaks for this kind of music. And um, yeah, we just want to, we just want to just open up the chat. So you guys are all ready. Why don't we go uh, with Brian and listen to his first topic and we will, uh, we'll, we'll take it apart. All right. Uh, the first topic I had in mind was, Thinking about bands who would be, I guess, mostly grounded in the 70s and then how they were able to transform, whether successfully or unsuccessfully, in our eyes, I'm imagining, into the 80s. I'm thinking specifically like bands like Yes and Kiss and King Crimson and Black Sabbath. And and I think of Rush immediately there, too. Rush, uh, you could even like Aerosmith and ACDC and Genesis too, if you really want to go. I, I would really want to go to Genesis. I'll, I'll take this first and then I'd love to hear what Hunter and Thomas have to say and, and yourself, Brian. So I think it depends on which band you're talking about for one, uh, because I think Genesis were pretty successful at it to a, to a degree. Like I love Abacab. I don't think it's a perfect album, but I love that album and I'm a huge Genesis fan. I thought they they retained the essence in in the 80s for a short while and then they lost it around invisible touch and same thing with yes where 90125 is a brilliant album but i think that there's a 90120 i always get that confused it's with that 90215 90215 i always get it confused 90125 <laughs> i think it's 125 90125 okay 90210 was the 90s nighttime soap opera yeah. <laughs> that's that's the one i get confused by yeah so it got that damn show has always messed up what i think is a brilliant yes album to my point i think that thing is phenomenal and i think they made a great transition And I think Rush did, for the most part, some great work in the 80s. But you mentioned Aerosmith, who I think shit the bed with uh, once they got super enormous popular uh, on in their return with Permanent Vacation. But um, again, it's all subjective as well. So I'll, I'm going to throw this back at you, Brian, and I'd like to listen to Thomas and Hunter. Those are my opinions. But I'd like to know maybe if anybody has ideas on like what it means to enter the eighties for these bands. Cause that is a scary place. It's digital. <laughs> it's, it's different instrumentation. It's new technology. So it's, it's post-punk. 
Well, anyway, I, you let, I, I'd, I'd really like to hear what uh, what Brian and, and Thomas have to say on this before I... Let's throw the football to Thomas. Well, Crimson, I think, is a particularly interesting case because they were reforming as the 80s were beginning. Mm-hmm. And, it was, um, and you have to consider what Fripp was doing beforehand with his work with Peter Gabriel and even uh, what was the, the the band that he had, the League of Gentlemen, or was that the name of a solo album? It was kind uh, of- yeah, kind of both. Yep. So yeah, and and you compare uh, Discipline to Red, and it's it sounds like a don't even sound like the same band essentially. What makes it Crimson though? Because uh, I because as a as a fan of both eras and pretty much all Crimson, there's something Crimson esque about it. Uh, and I suppose I suppose the common denominator has to be f- not just Fripp, but his his approach to guitar. Fripp and uh, Bruford coming back too. Certainly. Yeah, and and Bruford. I would say that, I mean, even though Bruford changed his approach on discipline, just as a matter of necessity, I still feel like Bruford's identity is is maybe even, or his, the sort of the tells of his 70s identity are even more apparent on discipline than, um, than Fripp's. I, I would agree with that. I think you can even get into particularly the second side of three of a perfect pair. Uh, where they're as experimental as they've ever been in the eighties. And um, I think you find, I, I think you find some of that stuff. I could actually see that on a mid seventies album. Had they continued like after red, not maybe the, 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 the production quality, which is the, the, the typical eighties sheen, but um, just kind of compositionally and performance wise, I could see some of that weird angular stuff from that album on the follow-up to red that we never got. Well- they were also being very progressive from a production standpoint, using all that new technology and different instrumentation, Chapman sticks and Burford with the electronic drums and all that stuff. So they were, I've heard the argument people make that Crimson were probably the only progressive rock band from the seventies to continue being truly progressive in the eighties because of that. Mm, I, I would make the argument for Rush. I think Rush began. Oh, say, I would too. I, I don't, <laughs> to a certain extent, Genesis. Yes, they continue to be bold. Now, again, I think people Rush, are... And I think in the early early in the 80s, Genesis, rushed through the 80s for sure. I think they kept that progressive. In, in, and, and, and when we were talked about uh, 90125, I mean, that is extremely progressive, I think, as far as also being very 80s sounding. I think that's the most successful example of like being completely and utterly 80s, but also completely and utterly yes and and sort of like a revived yes. Yeah, I think it I think it has the essence. Whereas I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect between, say, Abacab and Foxtrot, as much as I love both albums. Crimson, though, yeah, Thomas brings up that's that's probably the the most uh, successful ar- example artistically. What about Brian? I know you're a KISS fan as some of us are, are all of us KISS fans to, to one degree or another? Yes, KISS were very formative for me. <laughs> okay, and I know Hunter has an appreciation for various eras and albums too. I think- I, I don't actively listen to them as much anymore, but I still always will be a fan. So so Brian, you know, Same. KISS was great. KISS was like Judas Priest where they, they were really good at being themselves, staying in their character, yet reflecting the times. I mean, Dynasty obviously showed uh, a little bit of that slick pop thing. I won't. I won't use the D word because it was only one, <laughs> one and a half Which is songs. Fair, anyways. It's really yeah. It's it's not. It's not that at all. It's a great album. The fact is, it I was love, very, I love Dynasty. 
Me too. It is a very 79 album though. And I guess what I'm saying is like, they like priest moved really well with the times. And I think it was smart of them to sort of bring out their metal side for creatures and lick it up because they always had this kind of beastly Neanderthal metal, uh, metal element in, in the seventies. And it, they realized what was happening in the eighties and brought it to the fore and made a couple great albums. In fact, I'd say their last two great albums. Absolutely. And, and it influenced a, an entire generation of bands in the process. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, have we answered your point sufficiently, Brian? Absolutely. I think the only thing we missed would be that I was interested in hearing about would be Sabbath because ah. you have like, I mean, they, you talk about monsters of the seventies when the eighties, cause the, now that's arguably coming off their two most unsuccessful albums to date. Be careful. Be careful. I, I, <laughs> I said arguably. <laughs> However, from, a, from a commercial standpoint, you mean? Yes, yeah, and, and absolutely. Then, but like when, um, if you listen to Heaven and Hell or Mob Rules with Dio on vocals, it's still very much Sabbath, but it's definitely has far more of an 80s vibe to it, like Neon Nights, for example, than anything I think they would have have played in the in the 70s. Like, going more that even more metallic i would say in the 80s is and even into born again can't even imagine that stuff in the 70s the way i can make a link with crimson even i like like there was a there was such a new shape and and here's where we get into membership like how important is membership uh going into the 80s who do you have that are that are still carrying the the the, the fire carrying the essence for you and i think that in sabbath's right. case tony that's i only think sorry jeff i think that's go ahead you can edit that out no no no. that's fine no tony iomi proved that that he was black sabbath after all because you didn't even after born again and this is obviously arguable but i would i would hold up eternal idol as one of their absolute best albums and it's only tony and, and other guys uh yet it sounds very black sabbath and it sounds like black sabbath should in 87 i think so yeah and you wanted to you wanted to make a point thomas yeah, it was you mentioned the uh, about Iomi being the essence of Sabbath. I think that's where the, there's somewhat a bit of a crossover between Crimson and Sabbath because of Fripp and Iomi being the central, you know, the the figureheads. Very good point. Yeah, excellent point. So if you want to continue on with Sabbath, I if anyone who's seen a, a, more than a handful of my playlist, I have probably at this point more more Tony Martin era Sabbath than any other era. So I, that, I'm very big on that era. I think Headless Cross is a masterpiece, probably at this point, a top 10 Sabbath for me. And that that's that speaks to a whole other thing uh, in Brian's topic. This could be a shit. This could be a two hour show uh, by itself. Uh, I, I feel like um, 
some of these eras or that these bands went through in the eighties kind of have their own fans where the fans prefer that stuff. I mean, there are, I was, I was writing on the Voivod book today. Um, I was, but I was writing about how the Eric Forrest era actually has some fans out there that they, that's what they, that's the Voivod they prefer. Now I think they're nuts uh, <laughs> with respect I to agree. that, with respect to that era, but Sabbath had, has fans that Tony Martin stuff is their favorite. Um, Sabbath has fans where the Dio stuff's clearly their favorite. And I'm, I imagine I King Crimson, those. King Crimson has fans that prefer the, the Adrian Ballou era. So that's well, gotta yeah. be respected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two, two of our friends, um, Matt Johnson doesn't really like any of the Aussie era Sabbath. I think he um, famously stated that they were just getting warmed up in the seventies. Just getting warmed up. The first eight albums are a good warm up, I think he said. And then <laughs> Gail um, Perlow, he, I think, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn on this, but I think he had trouble. Gail is not a big fan of seventies music, and had some trouble getting into seventies Crimson. Her discipline blew his mind. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I understand that, but you lost me. It does not get into seventies music. I love you, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I, mean, it's, I think seventies Sabbath is uh, is amazing, but I still, I mean, when it comes to me, I, I think Heaven and Hell and Ma Rules for me are their like finest hour. Dude, that's a band that's so hard to make your top ten for, or even know, let, let's say a top five one. because you have to go by era, and then you have to to sort of piece it out because yeah i'm i'm always putting mob rules right next to sabotage and bloody sabbath and like it it it's it's like comparing apples to oranges really even though it's the same band so um anyhow thanks a lot in brian full, in full disclosure black sabbath are my favorite band so oh, i celebrate, they? Well, I, celebrate they? The, I celebrate the entire catalog i like the office <laughs> reference yeah thank you that's awesome i didn't know they were your favorite band that's that's incredible yeah, and it's funny too talking about Crimson Sabbath. They're probably the the, the top, yeah, the top two. <laughs> okay, if we each had a top two, we heard Thomas's Brian and Hunter go. Top two favorite bands? Is that just, what we're no, just no, 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 real... top two favorite Sabbath records? No, 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 no favorite, favorite favorite bands. Sabbath records. Oh, no, 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 yes. no, 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 favorite bands. Thomas, Thomas okay. gave us his two favorite bands. I, I want, I want to, I want a lightning round here before we move on. Wow, that's tough. Uh, Sabbath and. Voivod. <laughs> okay, Hunter, you're on, you're on the spot. King Crimson and Rush. I decline. <laughs> King Crimson, Rush, and Black Sabbath. Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could tough. we we could have talked even longer on that subject too because I'm a big defender of '80s Rush. I really love Hold Your Fire. That one comes up in my playlist all the time. It's well, okay. This is the fascinating thing about this stuff is like there's another facet of this because I wasn't ready in '84 when I was 15 getting into Bathory and Voivod and, and you know, uh, even even stuff like Queensryche and Fate's Warning. I wasn't ready for Rush to go synthy, but I found myself maturing as a listener enough that I really, I mean, I remember when I got into Hold Your Fire, an album I previously hated, and telling Hunter, like, dude, you know how I feel about this album? I've completely changed my mind. I don't know if you remember that conversation, Hunter, but it oh, was big, it was yeah, big I for me, because I was like, I've really matured. Like, you know, like, this sounds really good to me. I totally get it. Alex Lifeson's killer on this album, you know, like... He, but, yeah, thank you for saying that. I was just about to make that point. He's yeah. He has some amazing, amazing lead. He's actually, he shreds quite a bit on that album. I think he's just, he's yeah. stealth as hell on that album. I... But I love the whole thing. And like, and I think it's a matter of, you know, maturity or just growth as a listener. And if you're going to be 
yeah like and i was ready for rush so i think i think a lot of people that maybe weren't ready for that yes album or these black sabbath albums or whatever it might be you know maybe with decades behind them and a lot of more listening and just uh their spectrum widening you know perhaps these 80s records sound a little better to them let's move on thomas let's hear from you so one of the things that really drew me to the podcast when I first discovered it, it wasn't just the bands that you had covered, which honestly, when I had started listening to it, a lot of it was just confirmation bias. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, um, but what really drew me in was how you would sometimes spotlight albums and even certain eras from bands that in their day that at best they were either misunderstood or at worst completely dismissed. Uh, the two big ones for me on this front would be the episode on 34.788 by Mind Dying Bride, mm. but especially the episode on 90s Candle Mass, where you highlighted, uh, how do you pronounce that, Dactylus Glumerata? It's good enough, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. As good as we can do. And from the 13th Sun? Yeah. Um, so in the 13th Sun. <laughs> yeah, so in the spirit of those episodes, I thought it might be fun to sort of go around the panel and maybe have you shine some light on some other albums that are considered sort of the, the black sheep of the, the, the discography that you've always thought were worthy additions to the catalog. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's hear from Hunter first. Wow. Um, let's see. It's tough. If you'd like us to come back to you, uh, I can go just to get myself out of the way. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. 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 Just to continue on with that Tony Martin Sabbath discussion i go even further and i'm a defender of the much maligned forbidden i don't think that's a bad album at all i think that album the the, the harsh criticism that's been directed at that album has been very exaggerated throughout the years i think the only problem with that album is that it's just not as strong as what the, the martin albums that came before it, it there's a and when you consider the stress that was going on in the band at the time that they didn't even know if there was going to be a, a black setup with the tony martin as they were even recording the album, I think the fact that it even exists, it's testament to, again, to the the the, the drive of Iomi. So I think it's it's a decent album at best. It's it's a it's not a, it's not the train wreck it's constantly made out to be. OK, you'll you'll have me listen to that in a new light next time I, I bust it out. Yeah. And hopefully he Iomi does get this uh, this uh, remix or remaster that he's doing out and we get that Tony Martin box set. Is that is that actually being talked about? Yeah, he's been. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, wow. yeah, he, he, every now and then he'll come out. There'll, there'll be a blabbermouth headline. Oh, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. We found the tapes. We're doing something with it. But he never actually gives a release date. That's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, Brian, what about yours? Oh, I'm, boy. I'm, okay. I'm a lined album that you like. <laughs> I think I might get uh, I might get it for this one. But can I, get, I, can I guess? I, I know you well enough. I think you're going to say Cold Lake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right on. I I have I just have this love for that album that uh I just even from like back when I was when I first got it, I I, I liked it for for whatever it was. And I, I've I've never understood um the artist himself wanting to shy away from it as much as he does. Like he wants to, you know, I mean I don't know if he's if uh Warrior still does that and today but yes, i know he, for yes he does he kind of wanted to pretend like he didn't make it have you seen that famous interview where the poor kid interviewing him he said but tom i like cold lake and his response was i feel sorry for you <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's not as bad as the band pictures would make you believe i think they made a mistake in, in going that route image wise because people tend to listen with their eyes too much 
And I think some of the lyrics are unfortunate, but I've always defended it very much as like you hit a wall with Into the Pandemonium. Where do you go after that? You have to do something different or you regress. I'd rather hear that band do something different because that's what they were all about. And and I, there are some great songs and riffs on that album. I will. Uh, absolutely... Once they were Eagles is. Yeah. Yeah. As good as anything, I think, on any of the previous albums. I mean, that song's great. I was just having a text with Tom Haley and kind of randomly, he said, uh, cherry orchards is really not a bad song. I was like, you're damn straight. It's actually a really I, good song. I love that song too. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's a good one. What about, what about Hunter's choice? I don't know that this is a maligned record. It certainly is within my friendship circle. Um, but, uh, uh, in flames, clay man, I think a lot of people thought that that was uh, a real betrayal to me. It is, uh, traditional heavy metal album yeah it's made by uh you know a band that used to play melodic death metal and i i i think it's aged more poorly for a lot of people and maybe in light of the many sins that band has committed since then (laughs) um and I, i certainly uh wouldn't go on the hill for any of those records but um, yeah, I know a, a lot of people that really, really um, slag Clayman, and I think it's a, a very tightly written uh, band who, yeah, I mean, let's be honest, had some real commercial ambitions at that point. Um, I mean, I, it sounds to me like a band that is making a play for the big leagues. I think it's great. I, I've always loved Clayman, and I yeah. am with you. With I would, I have a group of friends that also. Um, you just did. They hated that album. That and uh, uh, Projector from Dark Tranquility. They both came Which I out also like on the same time. Yeah, I, I like Projector just fine. Me too. I, love both I, I have some problems with it. I don't think it's a perfect record, but um, yeah, I'll defend that one too. Nice. Yeah, these are these are good choices. I've had trouble figuring out what I'm going to say, but I but I, I mentioned it earlier. I guess I'll go with Genesis Abacab because. While that was hugely popular at the time, um, you look at like prog ratings, uh, on, you know, on ver- various sites, you know, ratings of albums and whatnot, it, people don't like it. And I find that to be a, a true Genesis album. I love the title track. I love, I think Dodo Lurker, like anybody that loves Genesis from the 70s should love Dodo Lurker. It's grandiose. It's a bit mysterious. It's haunting. It's clearly... Man in the Corner is haunting, yeah. Uh, I love that, too. Uh, yeah, and, and you got Tony Banks is clearly there. You know, the players are clearly there. If you love the personality of these players, and fuck, man, Banks, Rutherford, and Collins, man, they, they, at their best, they're untouchable. And I think they I think they brought their best for perhaps the last time, although I, did, I, I like songs here and there on the, on the, on the next few. Uh, this was their last great album. It would have been even better if they had taken a couple B-sides from that era. Uh, one's called Submarine. Uh, forgetting the name of the other right now, but um, if they had chopped off the last two on the on the on the album as it exists and put those two on, it would be frighteningly high on my favorite Genesis albums list. So uh, I'll, I'll stand up for Abigail. I, I love that. I like Duke. I love Duke a lot too. I like Duke. It's got a it's got a claustrophobic production or something that never really breaks out. I, it's that's more of a sound issue for me, an audio file type issue for me. Whereas I think Abacab just sparkles and so there's so much depth and richness uh, in that album's production. But yeah, man, material wise, I got no problem with Duke either. 
but yeah, great, great one, Thomas. Um, I guess well, I'll go you, next. You, yeah. Well, you yeah. you know I go further than that too with Genesis. I've gotten gruff for having Invisible Touch on my list. <laughs> well, I mean, I I'll stand up for Brazilian. Certainly, Domino. That thing's incredible. Uh, that's the highlight there. But yeah, there's some good stuff there too. The problem is, I, I do you like the the title track? Do you like the ballads? I that's, actually do. Yeah. <laughs> not fair enough. I mean, fair enough. I. I'll use a Don Anderson quote, something he told me a long time ago about music he doesn't like. Uh, he's, he said, I no longer say I hate music. I say I don't know how to like it yet. Yeah, I've heard you say that. I've, 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 I like I've, that I've quote. appropriated that, too, in my conversation. It's it's very well, wise. Anyone uh, figured out how to like We Can't Dance Yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like a good I, I like a good handful of that album. It, the, at a certain point, that album hits a wall and fucking hard. Fading Lights is one of the greatest Genesis songs of all time, but you can't you can't run an album on on one great song and a couple of good ones. That, um, that also has what I personally consider to be the absolute worst Genesis song out of any era, and that's Way of the World. That is horrible. I I think the I Can't Dance track is maybe the worst. Um, but yeah, dude, I, they're they're neck and neck, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, good topic, man. I'll I'll go next, and uh, we'll we'll get to Hunters. This is a little more specific. I believe we're all each to a man, incorrigible anathema fans. Am I right? I know about Hunter and Brian. What about, and Thomas is a huge fan, right? Huge, big favorite band. Okay. Uh, We're, we're all mad for this band. I believe we all enjoy all the eras as well. So if we wanted and could choose to have one more great anathema album, just kind of emerge from the ether and, and sort of be a thing. If we could choose that album without time constraints, where would it sit in their discography? And, I, and I'll start first because that may be an unclear sort of like concept, but like I would want a nice long 55 minute album after Pentecost three, because Pentecost three is not only so fantastic, but it's, it's a bit of a peak for the, the Darren White era, but it doesn't, even though it's a long EP, it still doesn't feel quite like an album. Like you, like you've gotten that full journey or that full experience and i would love to have something between pentecost three and silent enigma to kind of close that gap just another primo darren white era album before they sail off but of course it won't happen it's a wish list thing so hunter i would actually like to have them sort of expand on the very floydian psychedelic metal of eternity for a mm. little bit longer. I, I was not ready for that era to end. And they, you know, they tightened up, they cleaned up. Alternative four is, you know, a much more modern urban kind of record. And it's a, I mean, it was a record for its time for sure. But I just love the just the the spaciness and um just that kind of 70s approach that they took on eternity i i, I would have liked a, another record in that that mold that's fantastic I, I i would too uh especially vince's vocals which are great because they're so untrained as yet you know yeah, they're, he, they're not so quite yeah they're just they're kind of like intuitive and, and i think they work on that level uh brian what about you i i have to really agree with hunter here um i would love to see because that to me is it's still it's still a metal album it's it's still a, a doom metal album because it seemed like after that they they like I love alternative four don't get me wrong but I I also I I have to to go right with Hunter there I would love to hear them expand more on that 
metallic side of them of their sound that they reached at eternity and also what you said with his vocals are just amazing on that album i love vincent's vocals on that album yep yep good one good one. so something like that i would i would it's it's hard to pick something different from what he said i i agree with that 100 percent. cool thomas Truthfully, I really w- just would have been interested to see where they would have left off from The Optimist. I really like that direction that they were heading with those last few albums. But out of the last chunk of albums, I'm looking at their discography now on The Oracle. I, I would like to see something maybe in between We're Here Because We're Here and Weather Systems in that style, just because those are the albums that I find myself reaching for more these days. I find whatever you want to call them, progressive rock, post-rock, orchestral rock, symphonic rock, that I think it's just incredibly stirring, beautiful music. And I would like to hear more from Lee Douglas, too. I think she's one of the more unutilized portions of the band. I think she's their secret weapon. Yeah, I... I, I felt that that's probably where they would go because optimist had more Lee Douglas than, than any album prior. And then they've just hit the, hit the skids, man. They've just not been able to to do anything. And there, there've been that, that song. Speaking of haunting that song ghost off the optimist where Lee sings lead is absolutely good. It's goosebump inducing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, good call. Good call. Although if they, if they stop there, it's a pretty great run. I, I do agree with Hunter too. That would have been great to get another album in that eternity style. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, uh, Hunter, your topic for discussion. So mine's a little uh, a little different, um, and it's kind of kind of a two parter. So you guys and and anyone who listens to Radical Research knows that I struggle with my enthusiasm for new metal, recent metal. Really, I anything made in the last 15 years or so um it is it, gonna get um uh a harder look um from me or a, a more um negatively biased look probably than something that might even be of inferior quality from the late 90s or the mid 90s there are exceptions for me certainly i mean and and we've done you know shows on them i mean um i mean disillusion um we could go on and on but I, I wondered, and I'd really like to hear from you guys, does metal still have new places to go? And I know that there's probably no real potential for true originality anymore. Um, and I think we crossed that line quite a while ago. But but where do you think, like, where do you think the action is right now? Um, and it could be with, you know, in terms of a genre or, um, of a band. And do you feel like we're still in a place as as a genre in its age um, for there to be new innovations new energetic fresh music to be made i have a, a sarcastic thing to say to that which is that the action is in my uh vinyl collection and back in the 70s probably um, but no, I mean, I'd like to hear uh, what Brian Thomas and yourself, Hunter, think about it. I, I I don't even know if you know the answer, Hunter. I think you're looking for answers or, or looking for. I, I'm, I'm just looking yeah, to, yeah. Us to have a conversation about it. I don't know that there is a, an, an answer, but um, yeah. And I'll gladly weigh in on, on some, some things. Um, I want to give Brian a chance. Cause uh, obviously all of you a chance, but like, I want to give Brian a chance. Cause I know, I think Brian more than at least me or Hunter, I don't know about Thomas, but you definitely delve into more new music than I do. You you uh, recommend things to me, Brian. Sometimes they stick, sometimes they don't. But I know that you have 
uh, found some things and there are certainly things out there. So anyway, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like you to tackle Hunter's question. Well, as far as, um, as far as like the part of there, is there anything, it's hard to, to feel that there's really anything that is outright original or that's like never been done. I mean, I feel like almost everything's been done at this point. Uh, however, with new bands, um, I mean, I think there's some that are, are doing some nice things that are definitely worthy of listening. A Force to Stars would be way high up on my list of newer bands that I think have found a, a niche of that's somewhat there. They have a, a tad of originality to them. I'd say with their, I don't know if it, you know, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it is a gimmick, right? Like their whole Victorian appeal and all of that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything original, but as far as new music goes, I think there's lots of of good new music out there to be heard. It's just, it seems like you have to sift through a lot more. And um, as we get older, it's kind of hard to... <laughs> well, I'd like to see the graph. Sift through yeah. all that when you have so much other stuff, like you said, in your record and your vinyl collection. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, yeah, and I, I, I like to buy new music still. I and I, there's always albums on my year end list that are brand new, and they're often by older bands. But there's sometimes newer bands, and and they're often on CD. So I'm, I'm just being cheeky there. But like, I mean, honestly, I'd like to see the graph of like the greater amount of bands that exists every year. There are like population wise per capita. There's more bands, just period. Okay, newer bands, and then compare that to the bar. If we can quantify the bar that's been set and how high it's been set, it's gets more and more, I would think, more and more impossible for these new bands to reach that bar. I mean, it's just, it just is difficult, which is why I grasp onto something like Stargazer's Psychic Secretions, which is just, it's not anything technically new at all, but it's masterfully created, masterfully written and, and presented. And I just feel like, you have to settle for that. And if we're settling for psychic secretion types albums, I think we're doing okay. Um, yep. But yeah, the bar's high and the amount of new bands is, is insurmountable and, and just hard, hard to, hard to navigate through. Uh, so I, sometimes I'll, I'll just get fatigue and uh, want to go back to a psychic secretions or what have you. Anyway, Portal. that's, I think yeah. portals is a band that. Yeah. Is relatively newer. That's doing some interesting things. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, Thomas? Any thoughts on this? I'm honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how I want to word this. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the written word comes in handy. I think sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look at something like Gaul's weird. Technically that's a new band, but this is a guy Gaul that's been around forever. But I just on the strength of the album, the EP, like I'm really excited for new material. So you will have guys, whether they're new or not coming up with new stuff. Hail Spirit Noir is another one that have done some really great stuff recently. Well, I'm really yeah. glad that Brian highlighted Forest of Stars because one, they're a great band, but I think they're a good example of a band, a newer band that's uh, t okay. Yeah, maybe they're technically not doing anything 
totally new but they're taking their various influences and they're putting them putting them through their own unique filter so in that sense they're progressive now, I, I, i've come to really like them and that was a band brian was pushing on me for a while and you even played them for me that time you visited brian and and i, I liked it but I, I didn't go crazy and then i just i think i ended up getting a promo of what's that last one grave pleasures and grave mistakes or grave grave mounds and grave 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 mounds and grave mistakes and just really connected to it like uh uh-oh and then i then i bought the other four albums and i'm very happy i did that that's a really great band there's a lot there there's a lot there they remind me of some some bands but they don't they they're never they never rip off they they are their own band and and i they they've explicitly said devil devil that was an influence (laughs) no i can see that yeah Yeah, i can see that yeah sure forest of stars and portal to me as far as metal goes they're not really that much they're not new newer anymore but within the last decade 15 years is still pretty new i think (laughs) i think those two bands really i mean that they've they've reached the bar i guess (laughs) that has been set so high by bands coming before i think they stand out amongst the hordes and hordes and hordes of bands out there i'll agree with that yeah, yeah, but those are the good choices. Another one's uh, Swevin. I don't know how you say that, but like the outgrowth of Morbus Cron, who came and went, uh, and I think we all like Morbus Cron to some degree. And then um, that Swevin album's incredible. I don't think that guy's very prolific because we still don't have a follow up to Eternal Resonance yet. But that's another one where I'm like, well, this sounds really fresh to me, even though it's nothing new. This is this is great new metal, and so it's out there, even for the yeah. most j- jaded of us. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously the long defeat was a real triumph. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, the new Dot I'm Scarred. Oh, yeah. Oh, that thing astonishing. Is yeah. Um, the new, the, the, the latest from Sai Shiki from last yeah. year. Yep. But you know what's so hilarious I, is we're talking about new music by a band, band. that's been around band, since 93, yeah, exactly. you know, 92. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, um, uh, Aranti Pazuzu, brilliant new band, newer band. Yes, Great one. I agree. They're uh, the other, they would be part of the Trinity then for me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they even then, they're, 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 even the then we're team. talking early 2000s they formed, right? Or mid 2000s? <laughs> mid aughts, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we yeah, have. These to are all bands that formed like after 2000. That's, that's where I'm going as being new. I know that's like 20 years ago now, but 2007 they formed. That's pretty new for me. That's new, and yeah, for where we're talking. Yeah, we for. yeah we're all we're all guys that grew there, up. On, on a, there's a band I tried selling Hunter. I don't know if you ever checked them out, Hunter. Uh, do you remember I tried to sell you on Luminous Vault? Oh, I do, and I don't know that I listened to enough of it to form an opinion. I'll need to to revisit that. So they're another band that I think that when you consider okay, technically they're, they're combining a bunch of influences from the past, but they're still doing it in their own context. To me, I think they're, they're definitely very uh, God fleshy and more of a low flux tube, uh, sleeve stack era old, but with a black and death metal context. <laughs> I do. Anytime you can compare yeah, yeah. anything to sleeve stack, like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> they're also somewhat KO adjacent because uh, it's uh, Mario Diaz de Leon's band. And he plays in this band blood mist with Toby. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Good. Good topic, man. I think we're back to to Thomas for the second round. We're gonna try to go three rounds. Let's let's see if we can make it all all the way through. So the ball's in your court, Thomas, for for your topic, your new topic. Okay. So another thing that I picked up on fairly quickly when getting into the podcast, or I guess you could say that we're 
two two of the key themes of the podcast. One probably the biggest one would be Norway. <laughs> yeah. And the other, and I told Hunter this earlier, this is partially inspired, uh, this t- talking point is partially inspired by his obsessive love affair with the year 1993, which was alluded to earlier. <laughs> and that's and it, it's seriously for good reason, because whenever it's been brought up on the show, I think you've more than made the rightful case for 93 being the, the watershed year that it was. And, I hope and, so. What's that? I said, I hope so. Well, yeah, and two, and plus, there's that that um blog that you wrote for the, the the Radical Research site where you just listed the myriad of albums across the rock and metal spectrum from that year. <laughs> um, but why I bring that up, both '93 and Norway, is because I think this is an interesting point of discussion. I think that you could make a similar case for 1997 being just as important of year, maybe not across the entire spectrum of rock and metal, like 93, but very important for Norway and more specifically for the Norway that tends to get highlighted on this podcast, Mm -hmm. because Uh. I'm just looking at this list of albums that came out of Norway in 1997. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the, the Garm trifecta with uh, over and not as madrigal. Arcturus is La Mascarade and Bortnagar's Old Domain. <laughs> okay, well, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's insane right there. <laughs> like one guy. <laughs> one, yeah, that, one guy that, that, so this Jesus. alone partially makes my point. Those three yes. albums yeah, yeah, yeah. represent so much. <laughs> but then going off of that, you have In the Woods Omnia was 97. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Solifold came right out of the gate with Linear Scaffold in 97. Hmm. Uh, Enslaved L was 97. And I, I, I would, I would, I, I would, a very special mention goes to my beloved third in the mortal. I regret if I didn't mention in this room. Yep. 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 And if you want to go outside of Norway just for a second, TMS deeper kind of slumber was also 97. Sure. Well, I think, I think, you know, Hunter and I talked, have talked about doing an episode called or, or based around the idea of the honorary Norwegian bands. Cause there are, there are some that are out there to me. I think of Panthemonium as kind of this, like, very akin to all that post black metal stuff that we love so much because of, of their of their blatant weirdness but yeah that's an impressive list and and it, it there's probably more i think yeah i think just those albums individually they don't sound anything like one another but when you group them all together i think to rip off a term that i just read in a book um i think those albums together they represent sort of a, a synthesis and a summary of everything that was happening up until that point well they're to your point i i guess this is just repeating what, what your point is but it's kind of a ground zero for progressive post-black metal norway as 1993 was for technical sophisticated progressive extreme metal i guess so right, in a similar yeah. way that 94 was for just your standard second wave black metal with all the watershed releases that came out that year sure yeah yeah i mean it's a it's when a waterfall of stuff happens like that it's hard to ignore it you know what i mean like you you have to look at that grouping and go there was definitely something happening uh and we're, it's, not, I, I, it's not just our imagination you know? i didn't mean standard black metal you know i meant second wave black metal sure sure my thoughts are that it's it's just hard to argue with that list and there's not much more i can say i think the list speak for speaks for itself i mean the fact that uh all of those albums are favorites of, I think, all of us, uh, and and we could probably dig in, uh, dig and look for a few more. It, it's a I, it's a it's a great point. It is the 1993 of Norway, 1997. So congratulations! I never made that exact correlation. I think it's excellent. Yeah, right. I I think that that was a pretty astonishing year in metal 
period too. I mean, I'm a huge Phobos fan. Um, ah. uh, we Eternity, which we've already talked about, came out that year. Um, For listeners that don't know, Phobos is by Voivod. I swear to God, like I sometimes I want to like make sure that people know that because there's there's going to be that one person <laughs> out there that doesn't know that. And like, no, I'm not being facetious. I, I, it's it's important to know that. So, yeah, carry, carry on. Sorry. Oh, uh, one of my favorite albums of all time, and and by an artist that I don't really like typically, but uh, Strapping Young Legs, uh, City. Um, oh, that was not nice. album for me. I'm not a big Devin Townsend fan, but that album is. Um, and I, you've probably seen that on several of my lists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your Blue Lambency downward. Uh, had to get that in there. Had to get that one in there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for <laughs> listeners that are wondering why that's funny, Thomas. I, I noticed over the years that Thomas has had KO Dot's Blue Lambency Downward on his playlist a lot. And uh, it's one of those albums that, like, as KO Dot fans, Hunter and I know have struggled with. Uh, I don't know if Brian's familiar with that one, but um, it's a tough one. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. They're a band that uh, I haven't got into quite. A, I'm starting to get into them more now recently than I ever have in prior years, thanks to you jeff <laughs> well hey thanks to toby driver <laughs> yeah, right yeah He's part of but, that but i'll take credit sure uh yeah. but, hey, and that, oh go ahead sorry i was just gonna say what a great world to explore because uh once you kind of get a grip on all the ko dot stuff that that's always fun to re revisit um you know he has a few solo albums of his own that are pretty incredible and a few collaborations as well so uh it's a it's a pretty deep world getting into the into the into the driver universe and from what i understand that first solo album in the library loft was supposed to be a ko dot album but the only reason it wasn't is because they didn't think they could pull it off live in a without a traditional rock club setting yeah i could yeah that that all makes a ton of sense to me (laughs) yeah i think you had something to say there hunter i just had a couple more that have um come to mind uh sigh uh hail horror hail oh yeah great one yep yeah uh, yep. and um and uh brave murder day uh catatonia may i add face warning a pleasant shade of gray uh sure. you, yeah you may, an absolute masterpiece you know what i personally consider to be the greatest one song concept album ever <laughs> of all of them yeah yeah <laughs> green green carnation just a, a just a, a second place right there i disagree um, with that i think thick as a brick is the greatest one oh yeah boy i I think I like Thick as a Brick more than those other two as well. Here, here's one. What about Eucharist Mirror Worlds? 
Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing record. I'm probably going to be the only one to mention Corrupted El Mundo Frio. <laughs> Who? Corrupted. <laughs> Corrupted. Oh, yeah, the Japanese band? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, that, that fair enough, man. So, yeah, 1997. Great oh, year. Just, oh, well, I, I, Another 97 album, Paradise Lost, one second. Oh, Maybe yeah. A, a little little thing called OK Computer by a little band out of England called Radio, <laughs> Radiohead. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. That's a great one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a top 10 album of all time for me, I think. Man, uh, me too. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, by the way, that Corrupted album I mentioned was in the context of one song albums, not 97. <laughs> ah, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thick as a brick, though. I don't know. Brian, pretty good there. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Anything else, guys, before we move on to Brian's next topic? I don't think that's so. all I got for that 97 one, though. All right. Go, go, Mr. Grabenz. Okay. Well, you said nothing too trivial. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I did. Trivial I, as it yeah. gets. But I have always wondered this. It's just something I figured we could discuss this. It's It shouldn't take very long, but there's, there's always this, um, I guess, kind of discussion of like, what is and what isn't black metal where did black metal start i i think it's weird because like there's a there's a sound that i think bathory would definitely be the first to really coin i guess sound wise with the tremolo picking and the vocals and everything that is black metal in my mind but i've always wondered why say merciful fate or celtic frost or celtic frost however you want to say it would be considered black metal, but somehow in the States, Slayer has always managed to avoid that label. And I, I don't, I just don't get why that is. That's really interesting. I want to speak on that first simply because I think I'm the oldest one here. Am I right? Thomas, you're, you're, you're the young one in the group, right? Yeah. I'm 34. Yeah. I'm 54. And and so I grew up with all that and, and reading. Yeah. Hunter's 44. And how old are you, Brian? I'm 49. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean we've all we we all grew up with this stuff, but it almost has as much to do with the literature of the time as the bands themselves. You know, there's a lot of immaturity in some of the fanzines back in the day, or even even some not great writing in Metal Forces, where there was just a, this weird need to compartmentalize and to label. And I don't think I don't think that's wrong. I think that's just nature, uh, you know, of the beast to just hear something or look at a piece of art and try to put it in a box but black metal you know obviously was coined by venom so anything like venom which was just overtly satanic and extreme musically fell into the black metal the first categorization of black metal and then yeah like like brian said merciful fate uh was always lumped in there and i just think that's because of the overt satanism and the very educated satanism of of king diamond you know he he wasn't coming from a cartoonish place it was a levian strain of satanism but satanism nonetheless and they did it well what, what was the other band oh frost yeah frost yeah, always got lumped in as well why slayer that's a really fucking good question because i mean especially if you look at the i mean you look at the the photos on the back of show no mercy yeah. uh, king and hanneman both have on eye makeup and the lyrics about satan i mean hanneman's yes. holding upside on cross on his guitar
the aesthetic, the noise. The, of the, the aesthetic of, of, is one hundred percent black metal. Well, so but so is the no, so is the noise. So is the fast picking. So so are the solos being just like complete harrowing chaos. I mean, like I mean, and see that's where I go with it. I feel like if anybody should have got that label as like a first wave black metal band, I be as as good yeah. as anybody to pick. I don't think we any of us has the answer. I'd like to hear Thomas and Hunter's views on that though. I'm 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 kind of flummoxed. I have no idea. Was thrash metal, Jeff Moo, you can answer this probably the best, talking about old scenes and stuff, was thrash metal a, a known and used term back then when Slayer was a new band? By the time they were a new band, I, I'd say I'd say you started to really see that term around 84, 85. Okay. Uh, I'm wondering maybe that? if that has something to do with it because they had been associated with something already associated, you know, known as thrash. I think they would have been labeled as speed metal. Speed, speed metal. Yeah. So yeah. Is, maybe that, yeah. maybe they, because they'd already been associated with a certain label before black metal. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's, that's possible. And then it just stuck and they got so big and it just became kind of their, their thing that they carried around. Or could it also be a European versus American thing with all those other bands mentioned being from Europe? Hmm. That's a good one. I mean, there's that, but even if you're talking like when we get get to talking about like the early uh, U.S. black metal, it's Slayer still would never be mentioned. They always mention like Vaughn or Profantica or yep stuff like that. Oh yeah, like, I, I mean just, yeah, it's yeah. just like I said, it's 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 nothing real. I just always yeah, and that when and that you're talking that wasn't going you're going into the '90s or that the Slayer's way before that. And the term black metal had also been around for what since eighty one is when Venom eighty one eighty two yeah yeah eighty one eighty two yeah that's that's a really good question man I just just curious because they have the aesthetic they they where they actually have eye makeup the 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 whole satanic form I also feel like I know they have the song death metal but possessed to me is also always felt like they could also fit into that. I don't think they were ever really death metal either. I mean, I, I think guess. they were everything. I think they were black death thrash. I mean, it's just yeah, it's just, like yes, they were all of that. They were very all, early on. They were all of that. The the thing is, Slayer did not lyrically and uh, rebel against it, but like image wise, they were they got really embarrassed with the the face makeup when they went up to San Francisco and they played in the Bay Area and like all the thrashers up there again, Exodus and and all that stuff. They got ridiculed for the makeup and and that's. A known thing, and then after that visit, they stopped completely, and they went, you know, jeans and t-shirt. Which, if you think about it, black metal is not. Frost were not jeans and t-shirt. Merciful Fate were not jeans and well, certainly King Diamond wasn't. Venom definitely weren't. So I think it maybe has something to do with image as well. Yeah, of I mean, in in black metal has always prioritized image. I mean, that's why those the members of those bands, you know, take stage names. I mean, it's like creating this, you know, persona, this otherworldly kind of, and, you know, and that gets back to Kiss too, you know, yeah, like yeah. those individual identities and, you know, the black leather and the, the you know, the face paint that takes um, away from, you know, the human face. I, and I, I've said this for years, though, about um, Rain and Blood. If those guitars were tuned lower, that'd be a death metal record. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Be a more of an angel right. record. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Great points, everybody. Morbid Great Angel stuff. killed Slayer. <laughs> What'd you say? I said Morbid Angel killed Slayer. Ooh. Ooh. 
I mean, that was my opinion back in the day, right? Like Slayer was starting to fall out of favor when Morbid Angel released Altars of, of Madness. Like Slayer was getting slower and, and like, I mean, South of Heaven was, although a great album, was much slower paced to mid paced. And then you get into seasons where I think a lot of things go wrong with Slayer and on that album. And Morbid Angel kind of picked up that torch of like being the most aggressive, heaviest band in the U.S. at the time. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, that's I mean, that's completely valid. And I can understand exactly what you're saying, especially the turnover from seasons to that cusp of death metal in that decade. Well, let's move on. Let's uh, I'm going to go with my next one. Have you guys made sacrifices to make room and time for music in your life? And if so, what are those sacrifices? Hello? This this thing on? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do we want to skip this one? Is this, that was a thought-provoking question, I guess. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> you can't see me, but I am staring at the wall. I'm thinking very hard. Well, let me let me let me help you along, then. I okay. Yeah, go well. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I've um, I've foregone, you know, things that I probably needed, um, like, I mean, especially when I was younger, like, you know, groceries and um, like, like hygiene, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, to um, to have money to to buy records, um. <laughs> Yeah, I've given up, you know, a lot of time probably with other people um, just in the interest of music. I mean, I I think one day when I index my life, I, I've pretty much dedicated, you know, my life to, to music in one capacity or another for the last, I mean, now 32 years. Um I, I probably have sacrificed um, a lot of, uh, you know, gray matter and and um, intangible things in the interest of music. Certainly a lot of practical things, you know, where I failed and it probably seemed like a failure to some other people just in the pursuit of what can only be described as an obsession and by a psychologist, probably something more uh, troubling than that. And I don't mean regret. I, I think when you sacrifice, you, you are, you are doing it for the benefit of the thing you're gaining and you're willing to lose yep. the other thing. And I, uh, I asked that question because uh, it's been on my mind lately because um you know, I'm 54 and I don't have kids and I still don't regret it. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't envy people that have had children that are my friends. I mean, and I know that Hunter and Brian are included there. I don't know about you, Thomas. Do you have kids? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I feel like my, my choice to not have children was very selfish so that I could gain more time with music. I was always having jobs that, had everything to do with music. I was paying my rent or paying my mortgage through whatever job I had, whether it was metal maniacs or, or with relapse or century media or the end or inside out or whatever I was doing. And then my books. And it's like, 
I know I could have navigated a child through that if I wanted to. And because a lot of you have done that and, and I, I don't just mean Hunter and Brian, but I just mean a lot of my friends who continue to be obsessed with music. They also have kids and it's, it's not been a huge sacrifice for them, but I, th I think I was afraid. I think I was afraid of losing this thing I love and this thing I've just had the, the luxury of indulging in, in, in a way that most people never get to because I got paid for it. You know what I mean? And it was a good excuse to just continue the obsession, but I don't regret it. And I think I made a decision a long time ago, like any, for instance, any woman I'm with or, or living with, they like any partner, they would have to understand this. They would have to give me the time and the room and the space to do what I do. Otherwise, no deal. And that might sound really selfish and, and prickish, but I, I hope I would be able to give them the things that, that they would want as well if they understood my needs. Um, but it's definitely been like a certain sacrifice because I, I have lived a very different life in the pursuit of music enjoyment, music appreciation, um, curiosity about music. And it's also, it, it's also not just about the music. I've started to realize that those sacrifices, they gained me not only all this time with music, but they gained me my, my best friends. Like every one of my best friends in life, you guys included, and then everybody else, you know, people like Heath, who uh, Hunter knows, and S. Craig Zoller, and people that are the closest to me, I met everybody through music. All of my friends, all my acquaintances, no matter how well I or not, I know them. Like, it just seems like it's all right. been because of music. And uh, I've made sacrifices, certainly, in the way I live. But at least it's, you know, I'm happy with the game. So that's kind of why I asked the question. Thomas O'Brien have anything to add? I don't know. Your last statement there pretty much said what I was going to say. If you look at Freeman in that context, where the, the gains far outweigh the sacrifices, are they really sacrifices? Sure. Yeah, that uh, there you go, Brian. Yeah, I don't know that I've I I don't have quite that same feeling of uh, I guess sacrificing anything other than I guess just time with others because I, I've always been more of a isolation music listener. I like to listen to music alone, so I guess that would. <laughs> I mean, I sacrifice time with friends and family and stuff like that. There you go. That actually is going to be my my next topic. So we'll maybe put that in the back burner. I'll bet you'll have some things to say about that. But yeah, thanks, guys. Sorry to get so heavy. Hopefully, Hunter has something a little more uh, a little more uplifting for us. <laughs> well, hopefully, it'll. Um, yeah, it's uh, might be a quicker talk. Yeah, it's certainly not an existential one. Uh, but uh, I was wondering what. And and this could be, I mean, this could really be anything, but I, I suspect that our conversation tonight will be um, confined to rock and metal. But your favorite or what you think is the greatest one and done band? Wow. I wish I could say Confessor Condemned, but they, you know, they're one of those yeah. bands that did a one and done and then came back with something and it was inferior. Wow. <sighs> Anybody else want to pipe in while I think about it too? I, I, um, give me a second because I have a few. One, like, like Ved Boyne's End, is that how you hey, say that? Ved Boyne's End, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Ved Zenda, yeah, that's a perfect one. Probably the right. best one, probably the best one in metal. I want to go to Prague here for a second. Semi Ramos, um, yeah. the the Dedicato Afraz album was it 72, 73? I mean, that was a one off, and, and Italy had a lot of famous one offs or infamous one-offs but that thing is man that thing is astounding yeah that that's a great one-off so uh Vedboy Zenda is a great one 
I'm going to go with Semiramis. I'm going to go with Spiral Architect. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you one. go. <laughs> Do you remember when we were on the plane going to Portland, Hunter? We were talking about one-off bands, and we did not come up with that. How I, is that possible? I, I, I think maybe subconsciously that is what prompted <laughs> this. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because I started thinking about it today. I was like, oh, I think that's my one. Yeah. Oh, that's – that's uh, man, I you know, I, I want okay. – Next yeah, time I have your promises, and then I have kind of a quick follow-up question sure. after that. So I'm going to be egotistical and pick the band that I covered for the first issue of Deserts, which is a campus, this French collective. They did one soundtrack for a film called The Chevre of the Vampires. It's fantastic. If you like uh, Sid Barrett era, Floyd, or anything in that vein, highly, highly recommend it. A campus, The Shiver of the Vampires. Wow. Okay. Awesome. I love Sid Barrett at Era Floyd, so I'm gonna and I'm gonna have to check that out. Nice recommendation. So, all right. So, all right. This is my quick follow-up to this. So if those, if any of those bands had made another record, what would you have liked to heard them do? I guess I'll go quick with Semiramis, just, just a, uh, 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 maybe a, something with a better production. Not that I, I love the rawness of Dedicato Afraz, but uh, I guess I'd like, better production and i and i i see it being heavier and even more proto metal because some of the guitar lines on there are just crazy crazy proto metal it's like um, almost a blast beat on that record yeah yeah uh-huh yep i know exactly the part you're talking about it's going through my head right now uh, so yeah i would just like like that and more with bigger production and maybe a better album cover i i like the album cover i yeah i i don't get it uh I don't know. Maybe one day I will. Maybe I yeah. need to smoke more <laughs> THC or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Uh, Thomas. Uh, for a campus, I would have liked to have seen them continue on with the, a relationship with that film director, Jean Roland, in a similar way, maybe to a, a, a Goblin Derry Argento relationship. Cool. And then Brian with Vebuizenda. Uh, I mean, really, just to see them do something else. I mean, they were already so off the wall i think that uh, it would have just been nice to see them continue it's, it's a shame that we only have that that one piece of music from them it really is it's tempting to say hey go to virus carhartt but that's it that is a different band it's a either. different band yeah yeah i mean i understand that that's what doesn't did they does that who they became is it's not all is it all the members no no uh, but it's it's the most yes yeah. carl michael um yeah, I need Mark to listen to more virus. I know that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it took me a while with virus too. I thought that was a band I'd instantly love. And it, it, they put me off at first, especially the black flux, which is still not my least favorite. It's a little dry for me, but um, I, I've really, really, really come around. And I, I don't think you, I think you would love Carhartt, the debut. That thing is phenomenal. Uh, I'm glad, I'm glad I gave them another listen. 
That's that's a really Agent great band. Shapes the Desert. I love that one. The yep. Oblivion Clock EP is great. Oblivion Clock's amazing. Yeah. Yep. It, it's all good. Memento Collider, which has Chewy from Voivod on a guest guitar solo. That's you know where their hearts are at. Yep. Yeah. Great and stuff. I, I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of my favorite quotes ever about Vedwins and um uh is from Chris Maycock, who said if um it sounds like enslaved in one speaker and Jane's addiction in the other. <laughs> well, do you remember the episode we did on that? We did the Vedwinzenda um virus A B. We kind of oh the, yeah, yeah. And and I and I mentioned this isn't a band anymore either, right? No, they they're broken they're up. They're no longer a band now either. But on that Sorry. episode we no that's that's okay. On that episode we we did I mentioned that Chris Maycock quote and at the very end of the episode, I did a mashup between Jane's addiction and enslaved. And um, some people heard that some people listened all the way to the end. That was kind of a test. And, and uh, it was great to get some responses because uh, it did sound pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's roll. Go ahead, Thomas. Roll. Okay. This is another one inspired by Hunter actually. <clears throat> So just for some background context, a couple of days ago or over the weekend, I I just finished reading the first two novels going back to KO. Actually, I just finished reading the first two books from Jason Byron. Mm. And for anyone that doesn't know, that's Jason Byron, the primary lyricist for KO. Former uh, vocalist and lyricist from Marvel and the Well. Yep. And I had made the so I sent and me and Hunter have plans for both those two books for future issue to Desert Effects. So I sent Hunter a text saying that I, I finished the second book called Amalia, which if you know K.O. Dot, you know that name. It, the, the plot of the book is I don't want to give it too much away, but it's essentially the lyrics to the song Amalia's theme from Plastic House fleshed out in novel form. Oh, wow. And. I, I basically I said to Hunter after I finished it, I said, you know, as fantastical and mystical as this book is, because it's very much a fantasy, it, it's also deeply grounded and the very human drama in it can get pretty heavy. And I love the book, but admittedly, it's a bit of a downer. And Hunter responded with, I think I'll stay away from that one. <laughs> and uh, you followed it up, Hunter, with a quote that I thought was fascinating. And you told me to, to run with this for this point. You said that you, you walk a fine line in your love of dark art and your revulsion to what you said is depressing art. And I thought that was fascinating because obviously the two don't have to be more than the same. Many things are, you know, quote unquote, dark without having any sadness or depression associated with it. But I'm sure to a lot of people, there's still a lot of cross crossover between those two terms. So um, what I'm, I suppose what I'm wondering is, does anybody else walk a similar fine line with their dark art and their attraction to, to dark art? Because I think we'd all agree that what we listen to, a lot of what we listen to tends to be pretty challenging, not only musically, but in terms of its subject matter. Sure. Uh, I have an immediate thought, so I guess I'll just butt in if nobody minds. Um, I, 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 I have only attraction to it and that doesn't mean that everything dark is, great for me you know like there's plenty of dark stuff i don't care for plenty of disturbing stuff i don't care for but i will take it as dark and as disturbing as it gets if i respond to it musically um and i and i, and I, I hope i'm answering your, your question properly here but like i uh i want the solo music experience which is how i listen 99 percent of the time I want that to be something that's not rooted in, in my reality. I want to be disturbed. I want to be moved. I want to be taken somewhere either harrowing or glorious or wonderful. Like, but I don't, I don't shy away from any of it. 
Um, because I, I, I expect when I go into that room that I'm going to have an experience like no other. That's why albums and music are so interesting to me, infinitely so, because I'm getting this experience that I'm just not going to have anywhere else in any other shape or form. And so I don't get bummed out. I don't get disturbed. I do momentarily, but then I can walk away. Like I'm, I'm happy to go into that mire for an hour, forty five minutes, or whatever it is, and then walk away. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's just the first. No, thing. That, no, that's that's a perfect explanation. First, first thing that comes to mind. The the distinction that I was trying to draw, I, I think you just articulated much better than I did, Jeff. Um, because I want the same thing out of listening. I want to be taken somewhere else. Um, and and whether that escape yeah is is disturbing or um you know uh altering i'm good with that the 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 comment that i made about the depressing part is um i guess um films or music that uh reflect too uh vividly my reality um, I, I'm looking for something um, outside of that. Okay, okay. You know what I think yeah. of Hunter? Sorry, Hunter knows me really well. And when I was going through the horrible breakup that I did in 2011, um, that happened to be the same year that I found The Cure and became a, a discography Cure fan where I was like getting into every single record. And early records, later records, like Blood Flowers, like whatever it was, there's some really crushingly depressing shit on there. And that was a moment where I maybe didn't want to go into that music room and have that experience because I couldn't step out of it because that was my reality. So in that right. on, in that instance, that was one of the maybe the rare moments where I thought, God, I just this is not for me right now, even though it was the year for some fucking reason. I decided to go beyond disintegration and get everything else. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan to this day. Um, but um now I understand your prompt to Thomas Moore and you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. That was an instance where I feared going in there. Yeah. Right. That's strange because I'm, I'm actually kind of the opposite of that. And you know, this from me, Jeff, from me asking you like, Hey, give me a really good breakup song or a really good, this song or whatever like if i'm going through that moment it's like i i, I almost want to feel it more or something and some of those music you know some of those some certain songs or whatever can obviously do that to you a uh, perfect example would be when one of my best friends in on the entire planet uh passed away of cancer back in 2013 i believe and um, one last goodbye by Anathema <laughs> oh, on God. like complete, like I had it on repeat. And I mean, like just, they were some of the, you know, most explosive listens to that particular song that I've ever, ever experienced. I don't know. I think sometimes, I don't know, exploring that pain can also be beneficial yeah we all know the power of that song and even if you're kind of in a neutral moment uh but when my mom passed that same year 2013 i definitely remember 
grappling with that song for the first time since I lost my mother. Cause that's exactly what the Kavanaugh's uh, wrote, wrote about. And for listeners that don't know what we're talking about, it's anathema's one last goodbye from judgment. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, and it took on a new meaning for me and it was good to go through that because then you realize, well, I'm not alone. There's also that thing of like, I'm not alone. Uh, somebody else is feeling that too. I always, I always, for a long time, um, not a long time. I, I never had a drinking problem, but I certainly around the early nineties, I was living the kind of lifestyle that like, I, I was able to party a lot and I was in a band. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, but I would wake up with the, with the odd hangover and my hangover go-to was confessor condemned, which seems kind of odd at first. Cause that's just like a clattering doom fucking technical mess. But like, it, it helped me understand that like, I wasn't alone, <laughs> you know, like somebody was feeling worse than I was that day. So I, I think you're talking about catharsis basically. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. 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 In, yeah. Inter intersecting with the feeling. I'd like to know, Thomas, you posed the question. What's, what are your thoughts on it? I'm pretty much where you are. Um, I, Cause I, I, for anyone that doesn't know, I, I write about a lot of film and a lot of the films that I cover tend to be quite heavy. Like, some of the stuff we're talking about yeah but I mean, yeah i'm i'm basically what what you said i i like to go in there and, and get deep into that mire because it, it is it's a fantasy and it's it's an escape and, and sometimes the darker the better and sometimes it's sometimes it's the complete opposite sometimes you don't want dark sometimes you want uh, i don't know the complete opposite sometimes you want i don't know pink floyd again i'm sorry i could because floyd can be pretty dark too because <laughs> then when i was uh framing that point out i remembered i specifically remembered the nuclear death episode where you and and hunter both said you found the lyrics to days of the week incredibly disturbing yeah but you were both still totally into the music yeah well i mean and and i that while it was disturbing and you're like man i almost feel like really dirty even like reading these lyrics um it just adds to the experience and it adds to the power. And I also know that for, for Lori Bravo, it's fantasy or for Phil Hampson uh, of the, of nuclear death. It's, it's fantasy. It's simply, you know, it's not, it's not exactly biography. And even if it were biography, I, I, I might, I might want to get in there as an observer and go, Holy shit. I don't think I'd want to hang out with these people, but uh, I love listening to their music. It's kind of like the blasphemy thing. Like I don't think blasphemy from Canada are a band I'd want to hang out with, or I have too much in common with personally, but man, do I love to listen to their music. On a similar topic, um, I'm thinking of the most recent episode of the Meads of Asphodel. I think to a lot of people, those recordings in the concentration camp might be a little too on the nose, you know, too close. Yeah, yeah for uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and he's brave enough to do it and to pull it out and to make us face it once again, the horrors of it. But yeah, it, <laughs> it ain't for everybody. As you were talking, Thomas, I... I thought of, of course, another favorite band of all four of us, Fate's Warning, where I always thought the Parallels album was a deceptively stealthy kind of dark album and even depressing. It On the surface, it has this uh, kind of brighter tone, certainly than the, the previous stuff. Uh, it's commercial, it's slick, but man, it's kind of dark and depressing. And it's 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 an album that's, I think, stealthy in in how it presents itself. And, and you're not sure which line it stands on in terms of like is this a happy album or is this a super fucking depressing album like it really um i don't if know if I'm you guys the, if i'm in the right mood and i'm listening to that album by the time it we it reaches we only say goodbye i'm I'm a complete mess it ruins me <laughs> there you go yeah exactly my point yeah yeah album itself is kind of 
dark and depressing itself, isn't it? Parallels? Is on... Yes. Yeah, I think so. But to me, he's on his deathbed, right? Is that what what's happening there? I, yes. I, I mean, I, yeah, it's I mean, the that's my yeah. interpretation of it, anyways. Yeah, it was supposed to be called the eleventh hour. The album was, and if you look on the clock, it's it's right at the hour, and it it uh, they changed it to parallels for whatever reason last minute. But um, yeah, that was the whole idea. Was like a, a guy in his last last minutes, last last bits of life, and uh, yeah, they're not <laughs> they're they're certainly not going for the uh you know, the rosy uh, look at life there. And, you know, to me, it was, it was an album that like a lot of people like dismissed as being too commercial and all that. But I'm like, I don't know, man, you like, you, you throw death right on the cover. So blatantly like that. They're not, <laughs> they're not trying to cater to the mainstream any more than they were on Spectre Within. Sorry. It's, it still fates. And the perfect symmetry wasn't exactly the sunniest album here that ends with nothing left to say for God's sake. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I would downer. say that, yeah, that fates is one of the most like, or at least, you know, um, Alder of Fates is really one of the most uniformly depressing metal bands. I mean, it, this Matheos's or uh, Matheos's lyrics get bleaker and bleaker. Absolutely, dude. He's yeah, and, and it's funny because I, I don't think that band gets enough credit for being as bleak as they are. I don't think people see that or hear it, but you know, we we're all fans, so we know what this is all about. I think that's maybe one of the reasons they didn't reach the heights of a dream theater or a Queensryche because uh, they, they insisted on staying in this place. that was really quite difficult emotionally, not, not musically, not, not whatever. It just emotionally, they, they just decided to stay there. I mean, they've always had such strong doom leanings. Yep. From yep. the, I mean, from the start, maybe not from the start, start, but from Spectre. I mean, there's some ultimate doom in that i mean i don't know it kind of fits them it's neat I, i've never really thought about it till we just talked about it right now but like musically they have that doomy approach to a lot of their music yep absolutely especially early on like when i think of specter and uh, waking the guardian there's some doom riffs in that on those albums that it's just unmistakable <laughs> yep and you can trace it right into like pleasant shade of gray even some disconnected i mean they they certainly uh kept that thread going for a long time I think it's also partially environmental too, because I'm 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 in New England right now, and it's a there's a very interesting aura up here. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And 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 you know, I've talked to Jim a lot. Obviously, I did for the book quite a bit, and uh, he attributes Connecticut, especially Connecticut's an interesting state. <laughs> he attributes the sound, their sound, to geography as much as he does anything else. As as much as he does influences like Uriah Heap and Merciful Fate, you know, whatever it is, Rush, but also their locale. And and I and I love when a band's locale kind of infuses or informs their music. Let's move to Brian's final talking point. I think we kind of uh, we may have hit on this a lit a little bit. It's just, it's kind of a little bit different uh, when we were talking about. I can't remember whose point it was, but like an album by a band that you might like that's obviously not one of the better in the catalog, but this was more, I was thinking more of albums in your personal life that maybe you didn't like at first that you, I, I know we touched on this earlier, but I, that was one of the points I was thinking about, like something you've, you didn't like it at first that you grew to actually love. And it's one of your most endeared albums in your collection today. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, Let's think on this, and and uh, I know we each have one, so br bring them out when you got them. I, I I'm trying to think of mine. Yeah, I'm gonna think of mine too. 
or it could even be a, a band. Oh well, that opens it up. Yeah, that to make yeah to maybe there was a band you didn't. Well, really get at I'm first. Not, yeah, now. yeah. I'll, I'll I think instantly of <laughs> this is going to sound weird at first, and they're not like a like a top tier band for me. But I do own the first three Crowded House albums, and Hunter knows this well. Where when I was fourteen or fifteen, this band would have been the enemy. This would have been, and I wasn't mo the most narrow-minded person. I was listening to all different kinds of metal and some rock and whatever. But like I, I thought of all of that sort of stuff as the enemy. It just was like this this call. I would call it college rock. I had a blanket term for all of it. It was college rock, and Crowded House was one of those. I now rec recognize them and listen to them and love them as like pop songsmiths of like a really high order. That is, however, due to my love for Split Ends, who was a band I also wouldn't have grasped onto when I was younger. And I, and I just found about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and they are stunningly original and just some, some of the most talented songwriting of you, of anybody you want to put them up against. Like I'll put Neil Finn and Tim Finn and just anybody who was a main writer in that band up there with like Beatles. I know that's a strong statement, but I just think the songwriting quality is so high order. And I wouldn't have found, you know, I found them. Then I found crowded house and it like stuff like that just changes, makes me pivot so completely from like a previously held prejudice, I guess. So all I'm saying is like, that's really important for, I think any listener to just never, never think you are, have closed the door on something. Okay. Like, I'm pretty sure that, like, I'm never going to like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know any names of any popular country stars right now, but just just name one and I'll, I'll just throw it into the, the blank. Who's a popular? Jason, Jason Aldean. There you go. Yeah, he's uh, real popular right now. <laughs> he, he's very popular right now. Yeah, yeah. But like, like before the controversy, like, like, I, I think I've closed the. I think I've probably pretty safely closed the door on something like a Jason Aldean. But again, it's that Don Anderson thing. If I just don't know, I just don't know how to like it. So uh, I don't hate it. I don't hate anything anymore. Um, and I, I think it's. I think the crowded house lesson was. It was. It was a lesson for me more than anything, uh, of how to just like not think you know what you absolutely love. Don't get too stuck in your in your ways. So anyway, I've taken up enough time. You're uh, you're gonna find that copy of Massacre's Promise at uh, Ed McKay one day. <laughs> like, man, this is amazing. Yeah, this is this is the, man. This 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 is this is the most underrated classic of all time. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know about that. I think I've shut the door in St. Anger. I'm pretty pretty confident I won't be going back to that one. That's that's by a band called Metallica out of San Francisco, by the way. Yeah, a little out of, out of, out of the Bay Area. Yeah, never really got the uh, the, the popularity they deserved, but um, nonetheless. What about Octa what about Octagon, Jeff? Uh, okay, well, we're getting off topic, but let's we'll go back to topic. But I want to say something about Octagon and Saint Anger. I'm just stalling because I still haven't thought of anything. Well, no, yeah, well, <laughs> you're stalling for time. Uh, to Brian's earlier comment about sorry, Craig Brian, Craig. I sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to sabotage your topic. No, it's okay. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we are absolutely going to get back there and get all three of your your responses to this. But uh, going back to what Brian said about Cold Lake, I don't like how Cold Lake has become the shorthand for like shit album by a once great band. I think that more belongs to either Octagon or Saint Anger. You pull a Saint Anger, 
you pull an octagon. You don't pull a cold lake because cold lake is fine. It's not as bad as its reputation would tell you. I do think St. Anger is is as shitty as people think cold lake is. And I think octagon by Bathory is as shitty as people think it is. What about Turbo by Judas Priest? No, nah, there, there's a few. There's, a, not, there's a, not a bad album. Not a bad album. There's enough. Songs. There's enough great songs on there and there's some garbage on it. I'll give you no, that. I agree. But that's that's the same thing they do with that album like they do with Cold Lake. They call it the the turbo of nah, whatever. nah, nah. Octagon and St. Anger are worse. I swear to God, you could name any disappointing <laughs> album by any band, Octagon and St. Anger, you will never get to those depths. You just never will. <laughs> uh so guys, stuff you didn't like at first and but totally came around to did a 180 on. Oh man, I'm still struggling. I gotta be honest with you. All right, I'll um, I'll I'll try to help. Oh, uh, Jeff, um, just one more um, <laughs> one more thing about Octagon. Uh, <laughs> Here we uh, go. <laughs> but uh, Popoff gave it a eight out of ten. Yes, I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I better okay. not say. Yeah, probably now. Um, two records that I. This is a classic example of I don't know how to like these at the time. Um, uh, Gamma Ray, Sino More, mm. and um, Dream Theater, Images and Words. Oh, wow. um, two records that I absolutely love. Now, I did not understand um, like clean vocals and metal at the time. Um, I certainly didn't understand um, alto saxophone and metal at the time. Um, and it I got both of those records in 92 and um, tried uh, and tried. And then in like summer of 94, for some reason, both just clicked. What, were, were there other entry points that helped them click for you? Like had you grasped? No, on the other- I, I don't think so. I just, I think that, um, well, I think that listening to, all of that more sophisticated and more melodic death metal um, opened me up to the, um, you know, the possibilities of melody in metal. Okay. Uh, you know, heartwork was like a big thing. Heartwork was a huge connector between traditional metal and the stuff that I normally liked at the time. Okay. Um, and, and Borovoy Kurgan was a huge part of that too. Um, his writing and um i yeah i remember hearing changes from sign no more for the first time and i was just like this is amazing and i started to connect some dots you know and things that i did like and yeah i mean it kind of set me off on an entirely you know new journey um that i've enjoyed ever since that's fantastic. What about you, Brian? Your your own question. On, on, on that note, that was like a perfect lead-in because it it was going to be Journey. Okay. I was a hater yeah. of Journey forever. I never, I I couldn't talk bad enough about Journey for a long time. <laughs> um, when I came to visit you, however, you introduced me to a, a wonderful song. Oh. Call of a lifetime. I oh, played yeah. this. I played this trick on a lot of people. And it works. It works <laughs> every from time. There, I actually oh, have delved in like a lot further into their catalog and got into a lot more of their stuff. It's I've opened up like way more to. Oh, I didn't to know journey. that. 
I didn't know that. that. I did not know that. I mean, you're getting into like some some of the Steve Perry stuff. The Steve Perry stuff. Absolutely. Good man. See, good. I mean, good, good man. I I had I had no idea. We haven't talked about this. I'm so glad. Of a lifetime is the ultimate gateway because everybody thinks they know what they think about Journey, and you listen to Of a Lifetime, and Hunter knows what I'm talking about. That thing is incredible. And they have other incredible songs in that era. And then, then you start to open up to like the early Steve Perry albums. And then I dude, think the frontiers dude, is freaking amazing. Dude, they, well, I was going to say the two, not, I don't like raised on radio. I hate that album, but yeah, I, that it, album I, I escape and frontiers, like the arguably the biggest ones are the most well-regarded ones to this day are my favorite Perry albums by journey you know, the, of journey. Yeah. And uh, there's a reason they're so good. Some, sometimes the cream rises to the top and that, that band, that band is incredible. Neil Sean, he's a rated guitarist, but I would call him underrated in the sense that he never comes up in the conversation of the true greats. And that, that guy rips, that guy oh. absolutely rips. So I'm glad to hear that, Brian. That's fantastic. Thomas, have you gotten into journey? No, not any journey. I with them. I'm just, I just know the singles. Anything coming to mind or we just, you want to yes, actually. And stupid me it was staring me right in the face um i'm going more of a well, with a band and an album um so i i'm i'm big on sludge metal if you if you pay attention to my playlist you should mm-hmm, know that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um if one band in particular that i really am big on now from new york city called unearthly trance okay i know i know them i don't know i don't think i've ever heard them well, for for whatever reason, when I was I I went through their albums not chronologically, which I usually do when I was first attempting to get into them, I just would pick an album at random, and a couple of them would stick, and a couple of them didn't. One of the ones that didn't at first, it just went in one ear and out the other. Maybe it was just the mood I was at the time. It was their second album from two thousand four called In the Red? Uh, after I listened to all of the rest of their albums on a second go around, I I purposely left that one out and got to that one last. And for whatever reason, it did it. And now it's one of my favorite albums from him. And I still, I think, I don't know if they're still technically active, but I think as far as that style goes, they're one of the best bands doing that style. And that's one of their best albums from a post-2000s, because again, that one's from 2004.
I remember when they came out, there was quite the buzz on them, if I can use that silly term. But but there was there was a lot of talk. And and so I don't have much familiarity, but I believe you. I also like the fact that of our choices, Brian with Journey, Hunter with Gamma Ray and Dream Theater, me with Crowded House, Thomas goes with Unearthly Trance. <laughs> that is that's so fantastic. Thomas won the heavy award. Yeah, t- definitely. Yeah, you think? Yeah, <laughs> I had a similar. I had a similar story with a band called Wake that I that I really enjoy that make a lot of. Oh yeah, that starts with an R. Starts yeah, from Arkansas. Yeah. They're they're yeah. a really great progressive cosmic psychedelic sludge band. And you know, Hunter lives in. Uh, do you like Kylisa, the uh, Savannah band? I I just know them by name to be honest with you. I know oh, okay. they're okay. I know they're associated with bands like Mastodon and Red Fang and all those other types of bands. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Black cool. Tusk. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna get to my last one because it's getting to be uh, about Hunter's bedtime. Listening <laughs> to music, pre-recorded music, obviously, is largely a solitary practice for me, and I think for you guys. Um, I just want to discuss your favorite environment to listen in i love listening with friends uh and you know somebody posted something a while back on facebook that made so much that resonated so much with me which was like you know you have a true friend when you can listen to music and not talk through the whole album um i sometimes get excited i remember one time hunter and i listened like pentecost three and i i I got excited midway through and just started jabbering i was probably a little bit high too but like the fact is um we have listened to a lot of albums all the way through a to z with very little talking to no talking that's true friendship because you understand that you're in there for the experience. You're watching a movie together, so to speak. It's, it's, it's quiet time uh, to focus on this stuff. Um, so I do like listening with other people. They have to be the right people. Um, but certainly my favorite way to listen is in the dark uh, alone. And I don't think I'm alone in that, but I wonder uh, what your guys's favorite environment is and how you, um, how you listen what your main way of listening is because I, I get more and more curious uh, over the years, how people listen. And I wonder how many people are out there like us where they like to sit down with an entire album in the dark and listen all the way through loud. That's how I like it. I would just like to know what your guys's favorite environment is for listening. I'll take or, that. I, yeah, I'm, Brian. I'm with you on alone and if not in the dark, at least a dimly lit room. Mm-hmm. With with no distractions at all, yep. I, I don't want like a, a phone in the room with me or totally. Oh yeah, or yeah. anything that's going to interrupt the what I'm there to do because it it's kind of like to me it's like it, it is a sacred moment. It's it's something that I mean that's my time. Beautiful, uh, that's perfect. I, I've always wanted to have a sign on my music room door that says "No food, no clocks, no phones." Just you know, like <laughs> all you who enter here. Uh, obey the rules. Yeah, um, right. I agree with that. Uh, Hunter. Uh, alone um, with you guys on the dark uh, or dimly lit room. I My preferred way to listen is uh, on headphones. Um, okay. I, like open, I like open air, uh, but I learned how to love music um, during the era of the Walkman and the Discman. And that's how I kind of grew up listening to music. And that's still my favorite way to listen. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Thomas. Not much variety here, but just like everybody else, I prefer it solitary and the light to be as low as possible. 
Great. Yeah. I, I get the sense that when we, when we, cause you know, the people that are listening to the way they, the way we listen, you know, they're, they're all the ones that are responding on the, on the radical research playlist page uh, again, which we're Hunter and I are so thrilled that that's taken on a life of its own. Cause it's just, it's a lot of fun and it, it helps, it helps us know that there are others out there that, that do this. And I'll bet most of those people as well, they're probably of a similar ilk in how they listen. I'd like to, I'd like to take a survey and, and get to know how everybody listens. It's it's just a curiosity for me for some weird reason. Car listens are cool. Uh, I think it's okay to, to put on headphones and vacuum and listen. Like that's, that's a cool thing. But like, I think the most rewarding one is the, the thing that we're talking about that solitary focused ritual. Listen. Exactly what I would call it to like a ritual listen, the, the proper listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I was just gonna say, like if you're listening and talking, you're it's in the background, you're still hearing it. It can still be fun, obviously, in the car, obviously, too, but you are also focused on driving. So you're not yeah, really taking in like you would if you're just sitting there in a in a dimly lit room taking it in. And Thomas, I think wanted to say something. Yeah, I was just gonna say I will listen in the car while driving, but never full albums. That's that's a, a again a solitary thing. It's you'd have to devote your full attention to a full album. I'll that's listen interesting. To tracks and playlists while driving, but never a full album. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the interstate drive is fun because then you have you know just open road and not a lot to think about. I, I think. I, I choose my music differently on the interstate than I do in town. <laughs> you know, I really do. Uh, yeah. I choose my music differently based on the weather. So. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely picking different albums when it's raining than when it's sunshining than when it's morning and when it's night. Well, Hunter and I have this. I, I think we brought this up three or four times in the life of radical research so far. But we went up to Blacksburg from Stewart, Virginia. It was a beautiful spring day, and we were feeling good. And we had a few CDs with us, and we were like, "Let's listen to Into the Pandemonium." And then we put it in. And we were like, "We got to mesmerize." We we're like, "Yeah, we love this album, but this is not working. This is not. This is not. We, we might have done better with Monster Magnet. You know what I mean? Like it just." Yeah, it, it, it wouldn't. It, it didn't work. So, so some. Yeah, weather is a, is a big deal too, for sure. That's a good point. Uh, Hunter, your final. Uh, you have one minute. It's eight fifty nine. I actually, to- I actually don't have. I the other thing I had, we pretty much covered. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm I'm good. You're good. Well, hey, I, this has been a, a long one, and and thanks, Brian and Thomas, for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank uh, you for the invite and the, the sincerest of apologies for that stalling there when I couldn't think of anything to say. No, nah, dude. <laughs> that's, that's the, uh, Hunter and I've been Hunter and I've been doing that for ninety eight episodes, man. I wouldn't really worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Editing makes us all look good, so don't don't worry about it. Yeah, thanks again, guys. This has been a lot of fun, and thanks that's for supporting awesome. Radical thanks. Research and. Uh, I'm really inspired by both of you and, and your recommendations and, and just how you listen. And uh, it's nice to know that we're, uh, we're, we're all this weird community of, of, of freaks. So uh, yeah, thanks a lot. And, and uh, signing Jeff, off. Yeah. Jeff, there's one quick thing I wanted to ask you because uh, a sure. couple of weeks ago, you singled them out on one of my playlists. Did you ever have back in your relapse days, any dealings with nightstick? Uh, no, that was that, that. If I remember correctly, that was a Bill Yurkevich signing. And one that I don't think Matt Jacobson was all that into, but um, and it was so weird because I was having this conversation with Tom Haley recently, 
he was telling me about how when he was at relapse, there would be those signings where it was obviously both of them or, or the bill ones or the Matt ones. And they were pretty obvious which ones were which. And nightstick was, I believe all bill. And, uh, he dealt with them completely. And I think by that time, when, when did the first thing come out by nightstick on relapse? Was it like late 96, 95, I want to say. Yeah, I might have. I I would have had a little to do with them because I was publicity. So it would have stuff would have had to run through me. I don't remember anything. I certainly don't have any dirty. Oh, no, no, I'm way off it. Um, water was January 28th, 97. Ah, okay. Okay. That makes more sense. January 97 is the month I started at Metal Maniacs. So I had just left relapse. So I knew about the signing. I knew about them. And that's why, yeah, I just, it just, the, the timing was, I, you know, I could probably say that I left relapse because they signed nightstick, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't say that. Cause what I know. About Bonzilla? That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. You should absolutely <laughs> say it. Cause that's, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll make that my thing. Okay. That's my thing. <laughs> they should put that on the albums. Put that on my <laughs> tombstone, <laughs> man. Put them, put them on my headstone. I left relapse because of nightstick. <laughs> that sounds good all right well thanks thanks again guys and, and hey everybody listening thanks for uh reaching the end with us uh i think we'd like to do this again uh who knows with whom but it, it'll happen and uh stay with us for radical research 100 voivod see you all freaks bye